0: All right, <clears throat> so what we're going to do today, so last week, uh, so the notes that you have today are the same notes from last week, session eight. I don't know if you remember, I was kind of rushing through the end, and then I flipped the page, and we it was like, the, there was four pages missing at the very end. I didn't realize there was four, and then when I was looking at the notes, I was like, we, we've got to talk about this stuff, because this is good. Secondly, I felt like the last probably two or three weeks, as we've been talking about conflict resolution and biblical decision-making, I've had a lot of... Uh, People asking questions afterwards, so what I thought we would do today because these are i mean we 're all facing this daily, we all have questions about this, so I want to finish lesson eight we 'll probably finish early and then take some time to like just any any talking through questions, not that I got the answers to everything, but the Lord willing you know we can i 'm sure the questions that you 're having are the same questions that i 'm thinking, the same questions that other people around you are thinking because we 're all you know, sin is common to man. Uh, we all have the same kind of battles in our home and in our families and things like that. So um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to finish session eight. Uh, you, we did, I do have the the last four pages on there. It, it is such a strange, okay, this is crazy. So I printed it last week. There's four pages missing. And I don't know what, I just figured I must have hit something wrong. So I went into the office this week to print it again. Same thing happened. I mean, it was missing four pages. So then I tried to print just those four pages. And they wouldn't print. Every time, it just kept, de- the, 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 the printer four times deleted the print job. And then, by God's grace, Joel walked into the office. <laughs> and, and so, like, uh, so I emailed it to him. He was able to print it. And that's the only reason we got those last four pages. I, made, I converted it to a PDF. I'm sure it was something simple. I don't know what it was. But maybe maybe Satan didn't want you to see those last four pages. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's, everything else he had no problem with. But those last four pages. <laughs> So uh, so anyway, if you weren't here last week, um, I'll give you the, the the blanks for the the main title parts, and then that'll help kind of get our mind in the game, then to lead us into the end. But I'm not going to go back over the entire session eight. Um, but you can you can listen to the recording for that. But we will start at the front. I'll go through the points. Uh, but point number one at the very front was the foundation for biblical decision-making, the foundation, and basically that's understanding the will of God, the difference between the the decretive will of God, his big overarching will, and the preceptive will of God, the will of God that he has given us through his precepts, through his commands, uh, through biblical principles. And so when it comes to the, the sovereign will of God, the decretive will of God, we're not called to know that. That's in God's mind. That's God's plan. He's revealed some of that to us through prophecy. Uh, you know, he re- revealed some of that in the Old Testament and it's already com- been completed. He's revealed some of the things that the Lord will do at the end. Um, but outside of that, you know, we, we don't know. You don't pray for God to show you his will for your life tomorrow in this decision. You know, it's like God's not going to be like, well, you're going to take this job. You're going to be there for four months and then you're going to get fired. And then after that, that God's not going to reveal that to you but God has revealed to us his preceptive will, which is in the word of God. This is God's desire. This is God's will for you, and that is, first and foremost, what are his commands? Obey his commands. Uh, Do not do what he prohibits. Do exactly what he says, and there's all kinds of admonition in the Bible to do that, to, to meditate on the word, to know the word, meditate day and night so that you can obey the word of God. Then there's also, there are things that aren't direct commands that are just biblical principles. All, we talked about the one and all the different kind of loving one another's, and those things come into play when we're making decisions. Uh, principles, stewardship principles, uh, principles on, on how to handle your money and things like that. There's just principles, biblical principles, that come into play uh, outside of his commands. And so when we make decisions... Really, what we're doing is, first and foremost, looking at a command. You're like, should I murder this person or not? Well, there's a command for that. Don't do that. Like, it's that simple. There's God's will, you know? But if it's like, do I buy this house or not? Well, then you look at different principles in the Bible. Where is this house at? Is it far from any local church that's going to put you in a place where it's going to cause your family to be stagnant and not be, you know, nurtured by the word, not have a good church? Well, that that's not a good biblical decision. You know, is it way outside of your means. It's going to put you in a lot of debt and you're going to have to work three jobs, which might mean that you're, not away, you're away from the family and you're not able to shepherd your kids or something like that. That's not a good biblical decision. Does that make sense? So That's where principles uh, come into play. Number two, I think on the third page there, is presuppositions for biblical decision-making. Presuppositions for biblical decision-making. And uh, basically, you can just kind of read through those things. But these are just things to know. Before you... Even strive to make a biblical decision. Just look at, you know, some of the things that we need to, uh, to presuppose. And I think I told you, I put footnotes at the bottom to see, show you where I got a lot of this stuff from. There was a lot of great stuff. I listened to a whole, Stuart Scott did a biblical decision making, like uh, a conference. I don't, know, I don't know if it was a men's conference or a conference for the church. But it was a, a series of sermons. And there's some really good stuff. And that was one of his things, the presuppositions. And I thought that was good just to put into the notes for you to see. Number three. The next page is principles for biblical decision-making, principles for biblical decision-making. We looked at Colossians 1, 3 through 12, and we basically just said there's some things that have got to be there. Um, I will give you these blanks real quick because I think this is good. Letter A is you must be saved. I mean, you're not going to be, I mean, that's the first biblical decision you need to make. It's what Shane was just talking about, that you you see that you need Jesus to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, turn towards Christ, and be born again. Um, you must be saved. Letter B, you must study scripture. If you want to know God's will, if you want to be, you know, make consistently uh, uh, biblical decision decisions that are based on his word, you've got to study his word. I mean, you, you can't obey or do what you don't know, you know. So study the word. Letter C, you must be submissive. So again, I you know I used to say this to my youth. I say it to my kids all the time. If you think something and the Bible thinks differently, you're always wrong, a hundred percent of the time. You know, so be submissive to what He says. It'll it'll help you come face to face with your idols and stuff like that. And so when those things happen, rather than be like, you know, what else can I make this mean? You submit to it and, and strive to to uh, submit to His word. And then letter D, um, or yeah, letter D, you must be spirit filled. So you, want to be control- you must be controlled by His Spirit. When we talk about being Spirit-filled, whether it's from Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 2, what it's talking about is you are, you are being submissive to God's Word, and you're doing what His Spirit commanded. To be Spirit-filled is to be self-controlled, uh, to be joyful, to be thankful, to be gracious and merciful and kind, to be patient. Uh, rather than acting on your desire, your will, what you want, you submit to His truth, and you, you do what, what he is like. You, 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 have, you live the characteristics of Christ. You walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Um, and uh, you, um, you let the Spirit control your life rather than yourself. And then letter E, you must be striving for sanctification. Striving for holiness. I mean, that, again, that is biblical decision-making kind of in its essence. If you are striving to live like Christ, to speak like Christ, uh, to to treat others like Christ. You're striving to put off the old, put on the new. You're striving for holiness. Well, then you're going to be making biblically or consistent biblical decisions in that process. And a lot of these decisions that we're talking about just fall in line of that process of, of holiness and sanctification. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't hit a, a, something that becomes a, a conundrum where you're like, man, this is a, a difficult decision. I mean, those are going to come. But many decisions that seem difficult are very simple if we're walking in obedience and holiness anyway. Does that make sense? Then you get there and you're just like, well, I can't do that. That would go against my conviction. That would go against everything that I'm striving for in my pursuit of holiness. And it makes a lot of decisions very simple. In fact, I feel like most of the time, Small decisions or, or just normal life decisions are difficult because we're not doing this stuff. You know what I mean? We're not living a spirit-filled life. We're not pursuing holiness to begin with. And then we get to some of these things and it's like, I don't know. I mean, they both sound great, you know. But if you had that trajectory towards holiness, you would be like, Yeah, they're both good, but this one right here, that is that is that is better, you know, and you can make those decisions. Number four is the process for biblical decision making. The process Again, I'll give you these blanks. Letter A is start submissive. So this is kind of like the, the nitty-gritty. So what you know, if you're, you're making the decision, what's step one, two, three, four, five, like that? First and foremost, start submissive. Go into it going, Lord, your will be done. This is what I wish would happen, but I am, I am submissive to you. Uh, whatever your will is, that's what I want. Help me to be submissive to whatever it is. L- uh, letter B, the next thing you do is look for commands or search for commands. That's kind of the first thing you're looking for. Are there any direct commands against this or for this? And then that's your decision. So some, sometimes it's that simple. Um, letter C, search for principles. So if you don't have a direct command for or against, then you're looking for, okay, so what are biblical principles? And then we wrote down some of those things underneath there. Uh, walking with Christ, influence in others, need, opportunities, those kind of things. Just looking at, at uh, and then a bunch of scripture to kind of show you a lot of this biblical decision making. A lot of stuff in 1 uh, Corinthians and Romans uh, definitely talks about liberties and those kind of things. Things that we have freedom in Christ. But, you know, like Paul says, you know, uh, eating meat sacrificed to idol isn't a sin. But if it causes your brother to stumble, he's like, I would, you know, he has the freedom to eat meat. He doesn't care, it's just meat. Uh, the idols aren't even real. But he's like, but if it caused my brother to sin, I would never eat meat again. You know what I mean? And so you can have a biblical principle at play where you eat meat over here, but you don't eat meat over here. Does that make sense? And it's not necessarily hypocrisy. I mean, hypocrisy is pertaining to be something you're not, but but doing different things in different settings because it's being driven by a biblical principle of submission, obedience, or love, that's not hypocrisy. Does that make sense? And so, um, so anyway, so you're looking for principles that help you to make a decision that's not sinful. You're striving to, to love one another, uh, prefer others over yourself. Those kind of principles. Letter D, scrutinize your desires. Again, in the midst of this, you're going to be facing your desire, right? That's, you know, the whole starting submissive is you're saying, Lord, your will be done. And then you start the decision-making process. And all of a sudden you realize his will is going to be done, not your will, and it's going to start bringing to light the things that you don't want to happen. And, uh, and so, you know, you're, you're, you're getting behind that and going, what is it that I want and why? And you're scrutinizing those things to figure out what your desires are um, and uh, making sure that, like we said, it brings glory to God. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, it's not going to cause anyone else to stumble. And then that's where we left off. So I'm going to pick up from there. So letter E... If you're still indecisive, the blank is indecisive, if, if at this point, you know, you got two not sinful decisions, you got two things that will bring God glory, you got two things that are fine, but you just don't know what to do, just wait. Be patient. Uh, the principle at play here is basically the holding principle, and this is something, again, I got from Stuart Scott, uh, was, was basically, you know, if, 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 you're, if you just don't know the right thing, but you're afraid one thing might not be right, then don't do it. You know, you don't want to do anything that's not, uh, Romans 14, or is it 14? Romans 14:23. If it's not done in faith, then it's sin. And you don't want to condemn yourself by something that you're, you're not sure of. You know what I mean? So it may not be sinful, but you're just like, I don't know if it's the right thing. Well, then just don't do it. Be patient and just put it on hold and ask, you know, uh, get more data. You could do that. If you're like, will this cause a brother to stumble? Go talk to that brother. If you're like, I don't know if this is a good financial decision, get more counsel, you know, get more outside advice. Um, and so, uh, so basically, or, or go back to scripture and look at scripture and see if there's something you missed, you know. But, but again, I think when you get to this place, this is where your biblical counsel is very handy. You know what I mean? You're, you're willing to be submissive. You're willing to sacrifice what you desire. You've searched the scripture for commands. You've looked at biblical principles. You're still like, what do I do? That's when you go to your brother or sister. And we'll talk about, because a lot of times what we do is we go on the front end and get counsel before we do any of that other stuff. And you just, Now you just got a bunch of voices, maybe godly men. One tells you this, one tells you that, one tells you this. And all three of them are completely different. And then you're just like, now what? You know, I mean, and so, uh, so rather than starting there, start with the word, start with the principles, start with sacrificing your desires, start with submissiveness, you get to this place, now, start doing more research, start doing more, getting more counsel. And then finally, letter F, if you get to the place where you're like, okay, you know, I've in the counsel, I'm at this place, I, I think I'm gonna, just decide, you know, you just decide, and like he says here, humbly, dependently, make your decision, and trust the Lord. And And that's where, you know, when it talks about principles like, you know, man plans his ways, but God decides his steps and all that kind of stuff, that's where, it, that, that becomes a blessing, you know? It's not always, God's not always against you. It's not like God's like, yeah, make your plans. I'm gonna squish him, you know what I mean? It's like that God's not up there being like, you know, like he, he desires good for you. He desires your sanctification. He desires for you to be made more like his son. He wants what is best for you. And in fact, he will only allow what will make you more like his son. And so if you think of it from that perspective, rather than God's like, you know, up there being like, what's wrong with this decision? You know, then, then you get to this place, you decide, and you just trust the Lord. Just, just make a decision. If, if three years down the road, you could have made, you're like, man, that other decision may have been best. It's like, don't worry about that. You know, the Lord's will will be done. He'll direct your steps. Even if you make a wrong decision in, in this realm, he'll get you to the place that you need to be. Does that make sense? So if you're fighting your desires, you're being submissive, you're looking at principles, you're looking at commands, you make a decision. Um, I mean, sometimes making a decision and then the path becoming hard is exactly what we need. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And that's one of the reasons I want to finish this lesson, because the next part uh, is really good. It's some of these things that we do all the time. You know, something gets hard and we're like, oh, I didn't do God's will. God's will may be the hard path. That might be exactly what you need to walk. Um, And so... uh, so anyway that's where you can just trust the Lord and and uh, and, and just trust that you know I'm striving to, to do his will. This little chart here was something that I got from one of Stuart's uh, uh, sessions and it's just a good just kind of outline of just how to make a biblical decision uh, you start with at the very bottom what are the direct um, the direct uh, biblical commands things like that and then you look at the indirect commands which are the principles that we taught them and then uh and then you you got your your freedoms and you get into this the the freedom stuff and you're uh you're at the like what we said you're getting counsel things like that and then if you get to the very top and and you can't make a decision then you hold or you make a decision and you trust the lord does that make sense and that just kind of simplifies it but that's how you make a biblical decision like I said, it doesn't mean it's not going to be complicated. It doesn't mean that it's not going to cause you, it's going to rack your brain or make you really face an idol or, or do something that's going to lead down a hard path. Those, those might be part of the biblical decision. But at least it it makes it less mystical. And I think that's the, the big thing that we're talking about with this because uh, of this next part we're going to talk about. Many of us have grown up searching for the will of God, praying for God to lead us in the right direction, looking for open doors, Looking for a piece that just you know surpasses understanding, so then we can just make that decision, you know. And it's like those are not biblical ways to make decisions. Uh, in fact, a lot of those can you can make really bad decisions. So I want to talk about this last part, and this is pitfalls for unbiblical decision making. Number five, pitfalls for unbiblical decision making. Um, I wouldn't have put this in the notes. I was listening to again one of these series by Stuart Scott, and he this is straight from his notes, but. As he was saying this, I was like, I mean, I just started thinking of all the decisions I've made in my life that are like just right here in this list. And I just thought, I think we need to talk about this because I've done this many, many times. And I imagine as we go through this list, you're going to be like, that's exactly how I make decisions, you know. And it's good to kind of see it on paper and go, yeah, that's not, that's not how you want to start. And again, it doesn't mean that all these things have no good in them at all, but this isn't how you make a biblical decision. One of them is the open door principle, right? And we'll talk about it, but like, you know, you don't want to make a decision based on whatever open door, because the open door might be an easy path that is not a good path. You know what I mean? So you don't want to make a decision based on an open door, but as you try to make a biblical decision, for sure, there may, that becomes impossible and that that can't work out. They, they don't want to hire you. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, that that's fine. And so you just keep, but you're, but you're not looking at those doors to figure out like, which one's open so I can go through it. You know, you're, you're making a biblical decision and then the Lord will direct your steps. Does that make sense? So when we say open door, because Paul talks about closed doors when he, in the book of Acts, but Paul was consistently doing what the Lord called him to do along that journey And when he was not permitted by the government or by circumstances to enter a place, you just keep moving. But it wasn't like he was like sitting still being like, well, I'm not going to move until he opens the door. You know, he's faithfully following the Lord and there's just some things that you're not permitted to do. So you just keep faithfully following the Lord. That's a different principle than sitting around and looking for an open door. So like I said, I just want to say that up front to say in some of these things, it could be a decent way to make a decision on the back end, after the command, after the principles, after the council, and then you're like, so what are the opportunities? You know? but, but you don't want to start on the front end like this. And like I said, if you start reading them, um, you're going you're gonna to see, oh, that's, that's what I do. Zelda, I just remembered that I forgot to, we'll do it afterwards. Don't let me forget. <laughs> All right, so there are many methods of decision-making that sound spiritual, seem biblical, but are dangerous and deceptive. And we want to be conscious and cautious about leaning on any other method of discerning the will of the Lord outside of his prescribed and revealed will in his written word. Again, I was thinking about it when Shane was preaching. I was like, this is, again, every time the Lord does this. But it was the perfect sermon leading into this. This is, you know, even God himself, the word in human flesh, when this man asks, you know, he's, he's, this guy's, if you really look at it, he's making a decision, right? I mean, that's why he's come to the Lord, like, what am I lacking and Christ, who is the author of Scripture, points him right back to what he's already revealed and say, "Well what does the word say? Well, here's the commands. Are you doing those things?" And then the guy he misses the, the whole point of those things. but the whole, Christ, Christ did, in essence, what we're talking about here. What does the word say? Examine your motives, your desires, those sort of things, and then, you know, make a decision. but again, a little bit different. For him because he's talking about whether or not he knows the Lord, but I thought it was neat because uh, I was like, that's what we're talking about in here. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now again, that's talking about false teaching, come to the church, things like that, but I think it's the same kind of principle when we talk about these mystical ways of trying to discern the will of God. Don't do what the world does. I mean, just because you heard it in church growing up doesn't make it right. And make sure it's not just like, you know, a lot of people make decisions based on, you know, paper, rock, scissors. All right, we'll buy the car, you know, sort of thing. And it's like, but that's not how we, that's not how we do it, you know. We want to go back to what does the word of God say? And according to Christ would be according to his word. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ that's the very end of First 1 Corinthians 118 through Chapter Two that we talked about, where he shows us. That the natural man cannot discern the things of God because they're spiritually appraised. And he doesn't have the capability of doing that, right? The, the, the man who's being born again looks at the cross and goes, that's the power of God. The natural man looks at the cross and says, that's foolishness. And then he just talks about how the Lord has revealed. He has given to us the things that were ordained by him before the foundation of the world. He's revealed those to his children, which is his word. And he's equipped us with his spirit so that we can discern the things that he's revealed to us. So in other words, what 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 is saying is if you are born again, you've been equipped with everything you need by God himself, both his revealed will and word and the spirit that that knows his mind. And you couple those things together, you have everything you need in this life, both for salvation, sanctification, to follow him, to make biblical decisions, to to live in a a walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Uh, And at the very end, he says we have the mind of Christ. It's not some mystical transcendent like, okay, Jesus' brain is working in my brain. What basically what he's saying is, you want to know the will of the Lord, you want to know the mind of Christ, open his word, rely on his spirit, you've you've got everything you need. And that is the greatest gift. So again, we don't need things outside of his word and his spirit to to make biblical decisions. In Second Peter uh one, sixteen through twenty one, Again, Peter's talking about an experience. He's talking about being on the Mount Transfiguration. He's talking about seeing Christ in his glory. He's talking about hearing God the Father speak and saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, or however he says it there. And seeing Moses in the lot. You talk about an experience. You talk about something that is like, okay, that's why I follow him. And, Christ, and Peter says, that was amazing and great. But he says, we have something even more sure The word of God, he says, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In other words, there is no better source than the living word of God given to us to make a biblical decision or to do any. I mean, this is God's revealed word made more sure than any sign, any wonder, anything that you could hope to help you to make a decision. And so I wanted to throw those out the, uh, at the beginning of this to say his word is exactly where we need to go every time we make a decision. And then the next after his word would be his, his church, his our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are striving to follow him and maybe walk in 10 years ahead of us and have made these decisions multiple times and it's our first time making this decision and he equips us with everything we need. So let's look at some of these pitfalls and then we'll do any any questions we got. Letter A is misusing the Bible. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, this is basically pulling precepts, uh, or these are ways you can misuse the Bible, pulling precepts out of narratives um, you know, you can go read the Old Testament. You can read a narrative, you know, of, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, I was trying to think of one. Huh? Tithing? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can take an Old Testament principle for Israel and then apply that to the church. That's that's something you can do. I was thinking of, like, uh, when, you, when you look at a narrative, a story in the Bible, you know, you see what David did with Goliath, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, then I can go beat anyone, you know, if I just trust in the Lord and take my slingshot. You know, it's like... And so it's, you know, you can take these narratives of Scripture that are basically describing to you history and just showing you how the Lord developed the nation of Israel and brought about the birth of Jesus Christ and all that. And you're taking out of it principles on how to make a decision to buy a house. Like, that's bad use of, of that's, not, that's not how you use the Bible. Um, now, it doesn't mean that, that there's not principles built into the Old Testament, but let principles be principles. Um, narratives can teach you. Principles, but they're not. You don't use them to pull principles out than to make decisions. Um, same thing with having a, a bad hermeneutic. When I say a bad hermeneutic, you know, you can read the, the Old Testament or the New Testament allegorically. You know what I mean? Well, what does this mean to me? You know, well, it could mean this, or the the you know uh, the rich young ruler that could represent you know the the youth of this day and age. It's like that's not how you interpret the Word of God. Yeah, I mean, you want to what does it mean what is What does the grammar say? Again, God is the author of language and the the one who has created communication. He can do a good job of it, and he doesn't need your magical interpretive skills to help him get his understanding to you. He said it clearly in the actual grammar. He has said it clearly by what the author intended it to mean when it was written, by what God intended it to mean when it was written, and then you look at the context of the whole. He's not going to contradict himself here and say something different here. He's immutable. He doesn't change. His principles are always the same. And so you look at it. What does the grammar say? How was this brought to us historically? What, what, what was the, the author's intent? And then look at the context of the whole, and you, got the, you have a clear understanding of Scripture. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some things that are hard to... Hard to you got to wrestle through some things not going to mean that you know everything perfect. We're all going to die with holes in our theology, even if you're born again. But the Lord is not unclear. He's very clear in his word. And you don't need some weird uh, method of interpretation to try to pull out of something, some mystical meaning that, you know, that helps you to, he's like, you know, don't build your house on the sand. And you're like, well, we probably shouldn't go to the beach. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like that. (laughs) Letter B, personal advice without checking scripture. So again, advice is good, but go to the word first. And uh, godly people can, and then godly people can give unbiblical advice too. Um, So just because it's a a man of God or a woman of God doesn't mean that like whatever they say, and I've I've had, I've seen people in this church do this. I've had friends that do this. I've probably done it myself. Well, you make a decision and then somebody says, you know, why'd you make that decision? You'd be like, well, so-and-so told me and they're a godly person. It's like, yeah, but you're going to stand before God, not them. You know, it's like, I mean, you, you have to give an account for your decisions. And you can't stand before the Lord and be like, well, I mean, they led a Bible study, and they said do it, and I did it. You know, and the Lord's going to be like, well, yeah, but you have to give an account to your decisions. So sometimes people have opinions. I have many opinions. I think video games are dumb. If you ask me about video games, I'm going to tell you, don't play them. They're dumb. But that's just an opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean you're ungodly if you play them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying. I've got opinions that are just my opinions. And and, and and everyone out here has opinions. And so you might go to me and be like, I'm trying to decide if I buy a Super Mario Kart or not. I'm going to be like, don't. You, got, you can spend that money on so many other things. But, but just because it's Brian's opinion, I'm an elder, that isn't, that's not a good reason for you to make a decision. Does that make sense? So, yes, get advice, get counsel. But sometimes people just have an opinion, and you don't want to make a decision based on this person's opinion. You want to make a decision based on what does the Lord say and what is His will. Circumstances, situations, conditions, coincidences, events. I mean, we're good at this, you know? Something happens, we're like, that's funny maybe that's the decision I should make. It's like, no, that's not how you make a decision. We're always looking for signs and wonders. And um, this, uh, and now this is a good point. Usually, sometimes circumstances can increase the pressure to make a decision. So you're coming up on a deadline financially. You're coming up, you know, you're, I mean, definitely circumstances can pressure you to make a decision. But even in that, you don't want the pressure of the circumstance to drive the decision you're making. There may be a timeline that you have to make a decision, but but many times in pressure, we can make poor decisions because we're not trusting the Lord and we're not leaning on his, his principles and his commands. We're trying to do what's going to save our skin at the last minute or something like that. Does that make sense? So again, circumstances, God allows circumstances that will for sure cause you to make decisions many times, but in the circumstance still make a, you know, your will be done, what are the commands, what are the principles, what are the desires, get rid of those things, Uh, get counsel and advice, make a decision, don't just make a decision because the pressure's on and I got to do something. Um, uh, Results, the end result, regardless of the direction, wrong means without the right results is not pleasing to the Lord. And again, you know, when Moses, Moses in the end, brought water to the Israelites, but he didn't do it in God's way. I mean, he never, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Um, uh, Actually, I put this one down. Uh, We just read a, a biography on William Carey, and I mean, William Carey is, I mean, the father of foreign missions, and I mean, godly dude, but you read some of the things that he did in his life, especially the way he treated his wife, and you're like, don't do that. I mean, Yeah. For sure, if you have a call on the mission field, look at some of the things William Carey did and follow his example, but don't treat your wife the way he treated his wife. It wasn't very good, you know. And so again, it doesn't mean that the man wasn't a man of God. It doesn't mean. I mean, I think he, you know, you can. But I'm just saying, you can look at the end and go, what God did with his life was amazing. But then you can look at some of the stuff in the middle and you go, you know, the the means don't justify the end kind of thing. And again, this isn't. I'm not trying to assassinate William Carey's character up here. I'm just saying, you look at David's life, right? David made a lot of really awful decisions, but David was the one chosen by God to be the, you know, an, uh, uh, a forerunner of Christ. I mean, the, he had a covenant given to him that God will fulfill through Christ. So again, we're all sinners, but you don't want to take sinful means to get to a, a holy end, you know. And people do that a lot, was, you know, I just desired to uh, to do, you know, I just, I just, you know, wanted to share the gospel. And so you... You go down to KSU, you disobey all the rules they have set up, and you, just, you, know, you think just by the end of it, and then you call that persecution. And it's like, yeah, but there's a way that you could do that by just submitting to the rules that they have, and then uh, would have been godly. But you, you, know, you don't want to try to do something you think is God's will on the back end and then disobey him all on the way to get there. Setting up conditions. Again, this is kind of Gideon's fleece, putting God to the test. Lord, if you'll just do this, then I'll do that. Uh, open and closed doors. We kind of talked about that a little bit, looking for circumstances to make a decision. Uh, Stuart said, open doors can lead to elevator shafts. I thought that was a good way to say it. (laughs) Just because it's an open door does not mean you should walk through it, you know. There's, uh, you know, I I know there's been a few decisions in our life that just looked good. I mean, it looked like the Lord's leading us there. It was an easy decision, uh, but ultimately it would have been a a poor choice, and by God's grace, you know, uh, we didn't make those decisions. So just because Sometimes it's the easy opportunity or it just seems what's right in front of you. It doesn't make it right. Um, ideas, inner feelings, desires, impressions. Again, I know these. you've definitely heard this, and it's probably come out of your lips. I mean, it's come out of my lips. You know, the Lord laid it on my heart. Um, uh, one of the things Stuart says, impressions can come from fear, Satan, misunderstanding, physical circumstances, poor theology, the flesh, the culture. I mean, the Lord can lay on your heart all kinds of stuff, you know. I had a friend that went to, I mean, I remember this in high school. He went to this girl and he said, the Lord's laying on my heart to, to date you. And she was like, no. I mean, <laughs> and I just remember that. It was so funny because at the time I was like, well, if God told him, you know, and like it was such a, to me, it was like racking my mind. Why would God tell you that? And she said no, you know, because <laughs> you're a weirdo. And that's not, <laughs> she should have said no. <laughs> uh, but, but just because you feel it. Or just because you have a peace about it or a desire for it. Again, we have many wrong desires, right? Think of all the desires you have. And we can make those desires seem good and holy uh, really easy because we are self-deceived. And so you don't act on feelings and act on desires and act on uh, the Lord laying something on your heart. Again, I think we talked about that a little bit. The the Disney theology of, you know, just do what's on your heart and go after your dreams. And it's like, that is satanic. (laughs) Like, that's exactly... What the flesh does, right? Just fulfill your desires. Whatever your, your ambition is in life, do that thing. At the expense of what? Submitting to the Lord and living a holy life. And, you know, so get rid of the, the, the Disney mentality of following your heart. Uh, letter H, being led by the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about true being led by the Spirit. I wrote down Romans 8 and Galatians 5 there, and I even put Galatians 5 at the bottom. Again, we talk about true biblical being led by the Spirit. What we're talking about is submitting your will and your desires to the Spirit's control. So that'll be the exact opposite of what you desire and what you want every time. And look at what Galatians 5 says underneath that. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, what's next? And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He says, for the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit of God and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition. In other words, your desires and your will and your wants naturally are always in opposition to God. And so, as a Christian, what we are striving to do is submit our desire and our will and our plans and our ambition underneath the will of God and to be led by Him instead of our own understanding. That's what it means to be spirit led or spirit filled. He says, so that you may not do the things you please, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on to talk about what it looks to be led by the flesh and then by the Spirit. You know, to be led by the flesh is you know, factions, dissensions, envying, carousing, drunkenness, uh, immorality, impurity, all that stuff, the things that we naturally love and enjoy and want to do in our flesh. And to be led by the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness, goodness, gentleness, the ex- exact opposite of what we are naturally. And so to be led by the Spirit is to is to purposely be fighting against your desires and flesh. So the last thing you want to do is, is, um, is think that whatever your your desire is, is the Spirit leading you. The Spirit would never lead contrary to Scripture and in accordance with your sinful desire. So if you are being spirit-led, you should be able to open the Word, and the Word agrees with exactly what the Spirit is leading within you. Does that make sense? But if you're, you know, think the Spirit is leading you. To make a decision, and that is either in direct disobedience to God's commands or does not align with the principles he's laid out in his word, that is never the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God would never, on his own accord, lead one of the children of God against the revealed word of God. Because God cannot contradict himself, and God cannot deny himself. And so the Spirit of God would never lead you against the word of God. That is a no-brainer principle. So you may feel like it's the spirit, but if it doesn't match his word, it's not the spirit. That's your spirit. Uh, Letter I, misusing prayer. Now, again, prayer is a wonderful thing. We need to pray for wisdom, pray for patience, pray for strength. But praying and then just waiting for God to reveal the decision, that's that's not how you pray. Absolutely, being patient as you pray, praying for the Lord to give you wisdom and discernment and this decision that you have to make, wonderful prayers. But prayer, like he says here, is not listening, it's speaking, you're talking to God. You listen to his word that he's revealed to you. And when you pray, you may, in the midst of the prayer, remember things that you know about God and about his word that bring clarity in the moment. But does that make sense? But that is not God audibly speaking to you. You're not gonna be praying and then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, I'm taking that job with Microsoft. You know what I mean? God's not going to go Microsoft through your prayer. <laughs> um, and so definitely pray. Ask for discernment. Ask for wisdom. But you're not praying so that the Lord then magically, like, leads you into the decision. Letter J an audible voice, God told me. I think most of the time, people just, it, it's, it's a poor way to say, Lord willing, it's a poor way to say, you know, I know what the Bible says, and God, I mean, if you're saying, I've read in scripture, I know this is what is right, God told me to do it, that is biblically correct, just a bad way to say it. Just say scripture says, and then do it, you know, but this whole, like, God told me thing, it's, it's, to, it's in our culture, I mean, especially in the South. God tells us all kinds of things, you know, God's telling me to go to Africa, really? Or, you know, God's telling me to, to have another child, and it's like, God doesn't, speak to you audibly. Again, God's not going to speak. Uh, one of the things he was saying, you know, you could hear voices, but that could be mental. That could be satanic. Uh, that could be a brain problem. Uh, you could have t- a tumor. Or you could have hallucinations. He was saying, you know, if you haven't slept in three days, you can hear and see things that aren't actually happening, you know? So if you're hearing audible voices and you think it's God, that you need, you need a Tell somebody about that, because that could be you could be messed up. So, but if you're like, "Why no? It's not audible." Every time somebody asks me or says to me, um, God told me to do something, I always say, "What does He sound like?" I've always, (laughs) I've, I've always wanted to know. Like, you know, is it like this deep voice, or is it like, you know, is like this fatherly, kind voice? You know, we all want to know what he sounds like. Uh, They're not saying that usually. They're saying, "I have this feeling, and I think I should act on this feeling." And that's where you bring it back to the Word of God. But do not be following voices. If you're actually hearing voices, you're not a prophet. Uh, you might be psychotic. And you need to get that checked out. Letter K, inner peace. Having a peace about a decision. That is a big one, right? I just had a peace about it, and I did it. But think about how many times you have a peace about something that's not the will of the Lord. I mean, people have a peace. Actually, I know a circumstance, and I want to to say what it was, but uh, uh, of a brother who had a peace about something and was making horrible decisions and, and is still in the midst of those horrible decisions and has a total peace about everything wrong that he did. And, and again, it's like, just because you have a peace about it, it could be that your conscience is completely hardened or darkened. And the reason you have a peace is because there's no guilt and the word of God's not weighing down on you. So just having a peace about something is not necessarily a good thing. It, now, if, if you're at peace with God and at peace with others and, and what you have a peace about is exactly what his word says and, and all that you've gone through, the other stuff we've talked about, commands, principles, counsel, all that, and there's a genuine peace and you're making a decision, that's fine. But you're not making the decision based on peace. Does that make sense? Um, you can be at peace after you make the decision, trusting that it's the Lord's will because you've made a biblical decision. But just because you have a peace about something does not mean that it's the Lord's will. And again, like I said, I've had peace about things before that weren't the Lord's will. Um, I just, I had no conviction about it. I mean, there's certain things I used to listen to. I just don't listen to anymore. Movies I used to watch that I don't watch anymore. I had a peace about it at the time. And honestly, I thought people that did these things, I was like, well, they're legalistic. What I learned over time is the Lord broke me and changed me and wore me down. I started seeing some of these things. They're doing this because they want to be holy. And the peace I had came from a, a lack of understanding, a lack of faithfulness and, and holiness within myself. The reason I had a peace is because I was so worldly. And so if you have a peace about something because you're immersed in the culture and immersed in the world and you have an unbiblical way of thinking, that's not a good peace. You need, that, that needs to get rocked, and you need, a, you need to, to become more like Christ. Uh, devices, they talk about this, flipping coins, paper, rock, scissors, drawing straws. Um, now, again, you can go, but, well, in the Bible, I mean, they drew straws. That's how Jonah got thrown overboard, right? But in the Bible, we, we have the, the complete revelation of God. We don't need straws anymore. And we're not prophets, and we're not Old Testament prophets. Uh, we, we have the Word of God made more sure. The Word of God gives us everything for life and godliness. If we need to make a decision, a moral decision, a, a decision in life... You have everything you need in the revealed Word of God and the Spirit of God dwelling within you. You don't need paper, rock, scissors. It's still fun to play, but not a good way to make a decision. You know what I mean? If you get through all the biblical decision-making principles and you're at the very end, you got two really good decisions, and you're like, you can paper, rock, scissors at that point if you want to. But like, but don't not out the not at the very beginning. Signs, looking for signs. Again, this is walking by faith rather or by sight rather than faith. Uh, everybody's looking for signs. And so you're looking for God to reveal something. You know, you're going down the road, and, and you see, you know, these three cows, and you're like, you know what? We should have three children. I, I just, <laughs> the Lord revealed it to me, and it's just, but we do that all the time. We just want something, something outside of the Bible to help me to know what to do. And it's like, get that stuff out, you know, and, and rely on his word. Isolation. Now, this is, a, this is something that happens frequently. Not getting counsel, not talking to your elders. Uh, I call it perilous privacy. This is cutting yourself off from counsel, prayer, wisdom, and all that. Um, I heard a person talking about this one time, just saying that that they don't need, you know, they have every God's given them everything in their in the Word to make a decision. They don't need counsel. Again, that sounds so scriptural and biblical, right? But again, and and that is true. God has given you everything in the Word and by His Spirit to make a decision, and He's also given you the Church. And he's surrounded you with all of these men and women that are striving to follow the Lord. And to, to reject that is different. Than to, you, know, you don't want to depend on only the church and you're not looking at the Bible. And at the same time, you don't want to be like, well, I got the Bible. I don't need the body of Christ. That's, that's not how the Lord has made it. He's given us the body of Christ for edification, admonishment. I mean, sometimes we don't get counsel because the thing we want to do, we know if we got counsel what the counsel would be. And so we're like, no, I can make a biblical decision. And it's like, why don't you just ask one person if that's a biblical decision, you know? But we isolate because like Proverbs 18, one says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. And so many times we don't get advice or counsel or help because we want to continue to do what we want to do rather than what we know the Lord says or what we know the counsel would be. And that is is not a good way to make a decision. Dreams, looking for direction in your dreams and interpreting dreams. And again, this happens all the time. Uh, Letter P, waiting on the Lord. Uh, Again, that kind of goes back to the praying and waiting. Again, you might need to study the word, obey the word. Um, This was a good point that Stuart said, God will not believe for you and God will not obey for you. Those are on you. Does that make sense? Those are commands for us. God gives you everything you need to believe and trust his word. He gives you everything you need in, 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 revealing his will, but you still have to obey. You can't sit there and pray, Lord, help me to be pure. Lord, help me to be pure. Lord, help me to be. He's like, I've given you everything you need to be pure. You just need to obey. Now, again, praying for strength, discernment, wisdom, help. That's fine. But God's not going to make you obey. You have to obey. And now, the Lord will sanctify you. The Lord's the one that draws us to himself. I'm not negating the sovereignty of God and all of these things. But many times we can put the, the blame on God for our disobedience because we're like, well, God just didn't lead me. Or I just, I feel like I just don't have the strength. But he tells you, I've given you this I mean, he conquered sin and death on the cross. Don't you think that he can help you to fight this sin that you have or to make this decision that you have to make? But again, sometimes we wait on the Lord to do something that we have the responsibility to, to do, um, and, uh, and again, that could just be passivity, laziness, fear, disobedience, disguise, and spiritual language, um, letter q, your conscience we kind of talked about this already. your conscience is a guard, not a guide you don 't let your conscience guide you, your conscience helps you to to be convicted when the Word of God is pressing down on it. Um, sometimes our conscience i told you about that earlier in my own example, like you know your conscience needs to be. Uh, uh, reoriented or, or reeducated or retrained with Scripture. The reason there's no conviction and the reason you have a peace is because your conscience is not calibrated correctly with the Word of God. And so just because your conscience uh, isn't pressing down on you doesn't necessarily mean that's the right decision. Make sure your conscience is not misinformed, hardened, darkened, or even dead, right? I mean, if you have a dead conscience, if you're not alive in the Spirit, then you're not going to be able to make a biblical decision. Decision. Uh, Reason, letter R, again, reason is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from the Lord, but it is not the starting principle. Scripture is. Uh, You can make a reasonable uh, argument for something that's just not the will of the Lord. So engage your mind, but don't rely on your own reasoning. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is straightforward about that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding or reason. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So again, um, your reasoning has to be still submissive to and dependent upon the revealed word of God. Uh, as pseudo-faith, I believe God will provide, I trust the Lord. Again, uh, true faith is built on obedience to commands and principles. There's, there's other, again, other examples in, in life that you know you look at, and you're like, man, I wish I had faith like that. I, I, I love uh, reading about George Mueller and him praying all the time, and the dude, like, you know, he needed to feed like 80,000 orphans tonight and he has no bread, you know, and he just prays and it shows up. That's not a good principle to live on. I mean, George Mueller, by God's grace, is is a neat testimony. Don't you go making decisions like that. You, you know, like, you know, I got I to provide for my family. I'm going to sit here and pray and God's going to provide. You know, it's like that sounds good. It sounds so holy. You may just be a very poor decision maker. You could be super lazy. You could, and you just got bad understanding of what faith is. So just because it sounds like this big faith doesn't mean it necessarily is faith and faithfulness. You could be having faith in some, I mean, you could go read George, George Mueller's autobiography and then decide I'm going to live just like that. But maybe you shouldn't. And, and, and there's many things in that autobiography that if you apply to certain principles in your life, that is not the way to make a decision. Doesn't mean don't pray. Doesn't mean don't trust the Lord. Doesn't mean don't have faith. But but again, we can look at some of these people uh, and be like, you know, uh, look at their example and think that's how we need to live. And that kind of goes in the next thing: fasting. Again, I did this a long. It's been a long time. I did a biblical study of fasting. Every time you look at the Bible and people are fasting, it's usually in time. I mean, uh, Babylon or Assyria or surrounded the walls of Jerusalem, like they're. They're going to die. I mean, people are fasting because they have no desire to eat and they're seeking the Lord because they're in a place of, of, of distress and hardship where they're, they're, I mean, it's just normal. You, you know, like it, I remember when our little girl was in the hospital for days, I was, I was fasting. But I wasn't fasting because I think the fasting is going to produce something. It, you're fasting because I, I would rather pray than eat right now because I want to pray for my daughter and I need the Lord right now. And food. Is not on my mind. Does that make sense? And if you look at a biblical understanding of fasting, fasting always comes in suffering and hardship and in crazy trials and circumstances like that. It's when people are so focused on God and on Christ and on his word that eating is so secondary that they're, they're just not eating. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean there's not purposeful times where you're disciplining yourself. But again, I mean, fasting has other benefits. You can lose weight. You can, you know, become self-controlled. But don't mix that up with spiritualness, and don't think that fasting is going to produce good decision-making. That's great. Just because you don't eat lunch doesn't make you going to make a good decision. In fact, you can make really bad decisions when you're super hungry, right? So, fasting itself is not a reason or a good way to make decisions.
1: Look
0: at Esau. Esau? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was, starving, he was starving, and he got rid of. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a good example. uh the call experience again experiences rather than principles many callings are just the desire of man attributed to the will of god uh true calling is character giftedness desire confirmation you know i remember in seminary facing this you know just guys that were called by the lord i was called since i was six to be a pastor and i remember at first just being like how do you know i mean did and they're just like i just know i was called you know and and then I remember in one of the classes, somebody else, asked because I was confused. I had never felt called. God never said anything to me. I didn't know why I was at seminary. But, like, I definitely did not have some magical calling of the Lord. And then a professor just clearly explained it. I mean, look at 1 Timothy 3. Look at Titus. Do you have this character? If, you, if you're not living this way, you're not called. I mean, you could have all the desires in the world, think you're a gifted preacher and pastor, and think you should be teaching Bible studies. But if you're not submitting to him and living according to what he said, then you're not called. Uh, you might be living faithfully, but you don't have the gift. I mean, part of the calling is you got to be able to teach. And, they, and that's what they did in seminary. One of the first things they did is have us do a speaking class. I had to talk about Abraham Lincoln. No spiritualness about it at all, not preaching. Can you stand up in front of people and talk? You might love the Lord, love his word, and be a godly man. But if you get up here and you're like, well, then you're just not called. I mean, that's just part of it. And then the third thing was you got to have a desire. I mean, you may be able to teach, you may have the character, but you're just like, I don't want to be doing that. Well, then you're not called. And then fourthly, you need you need the confirmation of other people. You may have the desire, you may be living holy, but people just aren't asking you to teach. Well, then the, you know, if it's the Lord's will, it'll happen. doesn't mean you don't pursue things, but, but there should be confirmation from other people that you are gifted, that you ought to be teaching. Hey, will you come teach this Bible study for us? That kind of stuff. So again, it's not magical. You don't wait around going... Oh man, well, that job didn't work out. I, I tried welding. I didn't like that. I guess I'll preach. You know, it's like, it's not a, you know, it doesn't work like that. Small group, again, that's just kind of the council thing where you, you, you get together with a group of friends and you ask for counsel. And when they all agree, you decide that's the way to go. That's not a good way to make a decision. Prophecy, he was talking about people that, you know, the gift of prophecy, you know, that's practiced in other churches. People. Basically, it's just, I don't know if you've ever been to a church where they practice the gift of prophecy. If you saw it you'd be like, "Oh, that was encouraging." Cuz that's all it is. I mean, they just they just stand up and they're like, "Oh, the Lord's leading me to say that somebody that's suffering with cancer, they need to trust God and and lean on him and and again, it's like those are edifying words and encouraging words. Those are I mean, they if they're biblical, that's a good thing, but that's not the gift of prophecy described in the Bible in Acts or in the Old Testament. I mean, prophets were revealing God's word that had been undisclosed before, and now it is being revealed to man, and it has been written down in his word for us. This is prophecy. And we now proclaim the prophecy of God, but that's not the gift of prophecy. So, I, And I actually had someone prophesy over me one time when I was younger. And, and there's, again, I, it's just not in our circle, so you might not be used to this. Huh? I can't remember what he said. <laughs> but But people will prophesy. You know, I just have a prophecy from the Lord about you, but Man, I mean, again, you're gonna make a decision based on that. Like, that's crazy. Uh, and then finally, uh, over analysis. Again, you can you can just and you can get into a decision, and you can just over analyze and just. But what about this? But what about this? And I've looked at this angle and this angle and this angle, and you get to the place where it's like all your analysis, but you're not going. But well, what does God say? So, those are just pitfalls that we all can fall into. And again, it is very simple. Be submissive. What is the? What are the commands? What are the principles? Uh, mortify those desires, uh, submit those to the Lord, and then make a decision. Uh, on the back is another little chart. Um, actually, we give this out at the Biblical Counseling Conference. But it's uh, basically, it's, it's a way to make decisions. Uh, the put-off, put-on principle, principle-oriented decisions based on uh, against like feeling-oriented uh, decisions. Th- these are harder at first when you start trying to submit your will to the Lord's will and obey His word rather than your desires. That is really hard. At first, but the more you practice, and the more you live like that, and the more that becomes part of your character, that is a, uh, such a wonderful and blessed path. It becomes easier to do in the sense of it becomes part of your character, and it leads towards good things, peace in relationships and, and, uh, and, and, and blessing in life. Uh, a road driven by your desires, driven by your selfishness, driven by your wants and lusts, always is the harder path. Um, and so again, this is just a good kind of chart to look at when you 're making a decision you know what, what 's your heart what 's in your heart? Are you doing this out of love, out of fear? Are you trusting the Lord? Is there something you want out of this and then you 're going, what does the Lord say? What are the principles here and you 're aiming at glorifying God, pleasing God, submitting to the lord that 's how you want to make a decision. I threw down here some resources uh, these are and I have these some of these on the back back there. Um, but just some resources that I've read that I think are really good. Um, well, the one at the very end I have not read. It has become my new, like, I guess, idol. I don't know. I want, So Stuart Scott actually, I, I, I've learned this in one of his uh, lectures, that he did his doctorate of ministry uh, thesis or dissertation on biblical decision-making, but it's unpublished. And I'm like, that needs to be published because <laughs> the sermons are so good. Uh, but uh, anyway... In written form, the best thing that I've found from him is that biblical manhood book that I showed you, but these are just some really good books that I think are good in helping us uh, gain a good worldview, think through things biblically. I love the the right thinking series that um, John MacArthur and Nathan Boozness did um, and they just help you to you know discern things in our culture, discern things uh, as a church on on what a church should be. It just helps you to gain a good perspective of good biblical decision making so uh, I know that was kind of long. I, 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 there was a lot in the last two weeks. I know when it comes to conflict resolution, decision-making, these are kind of realms that we're always in. And we're always striving to to know what is the Lord's will and how do we have peace. In our, I mean, that was even one of our prayer requests today, just peace in our family, you know? So is there anything off the top of your head you want to ask in front of everybody that might be helpful for all of us? And. <laughs> If not, you can come talk to me afterwards. But I do want to give a, a, a chance for questions because I'm not good at this part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, be how would you things
1: are not sound. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no that's a great question. So I think I think first so the question was if you didn't hear it I mean if you have family members friends or you know saying well, the, the Lord said to do this or the spirit led me to do this or I have a piece about this which again is common terminology in southern church maybe maybe worldwide I don't know but definitely in the south I mean everybody's saying things like that you know in in churches around us. So first and foremost remember where you came from. I used to speak like that too. Uh, many of us have come from backgrounds like that. And we used to always talk about the Lord led me or, you know, God, I feel like God's saying this to me. And so be, how did you get to where you're at? You know, I mean, first thing you, you, you started studying scripture. Uh, You, you, you surrounded yourself with, with people that helped you to, to kind of reorient your words to be more biblically oriented rather than just the, the culture that we, the Christian culture we've grown up in. So I would say start with just patience. You said graciously. That was a good way to say it. Just be gracious. Be patient. Don't expect people that have not heard things like this, been in a, a culture like, like our church, to have terminology that, I mean, it, it, it takes a retraining of the mind. It takes a retraining of the tongue, you know. You start going, I don't want to say that, because when I say that, that's misleading. You know what I mean? But they don't see it as misleading. So, be, so start with patience. Uh, two, I mean, if they're asking your counsel and advice, then, you know, they're saying, I feel like God's leading me to do this, so what do you think? Well, that's a great time to go, well, let's open the Word and see what He says, you know? And, uh, and you could tell them. You know, I, I felt, you know, that's I usually use myself as an example. If somebody's asking like that, or, or even if they're not asking, but you want to talk to them, because if somebody's not asking your advice and then you give them your advice, I mean, that's not a good place to start, you know, Um, but you can say, oh, man, well, so I I remember having to make that decision or something like that, I remember feeling led to do something, but then I opened the word, and I saw, like, even though I felt led to do that, I mean, God says this in his word, and I knew, you know, I mean, he says, be at peace with all people, you know, I thought, like, well, they did that, I'm not talking to them, and I, I felt at peace about that, but but I remember reading the Word, and it talked about, i got to be at peace. all so you know take them to Romans and just show them. And, and uh, sometimes you can, you can help redirect or correct, but you're trying to bring it back to the Word. So I'd say be patient, be gracious, use yourself as an example and what you did wrong, but then how the Lord redirected your thinking. And those are always good kind of paths that are not like, what did God sound like? Like I say, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, be patient, because again, I think there's more people that talk like that than not. Like, we're the, we're the weirdos that don't speak like that. Um, yeah, right. It's a smaller circle. I think most people are looking for signs, open doors, wonders, and dreams, and things like that. Yeah. Good question. The Lord told me. <laughs> what do you sound like? Yeah. yeah.
1: I want to make a comment on this uh, point number.
0: Oh yeah. And a lot of preachers
1: will set Gideon up as an example for us to follow, whereas the scripture makes it very clear that although God gave him signs, God was God had told Gideon that he was going to deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites. Yeah. yeah. And Gideon lacked faith. Yeah. So God maybe accommodated him, but he was not a, a godly
0: no, totally. Oh, and again, that's the whole taking an example of the Old Testament and then using that as a, a reason to do. Uh, actually, all the judges. I mean, look at the whole book of Judges. Is Israel doing their own desire, not listening to the Lord. They had no king, and they, they were following their own desire. And you got all these men that the Lord did raise up, and they led his people uh, against you know, different kings at different times and different regions to, to, to fight. But most of them were. I mean, look at Samson. I mean, it just gets worse and worse. You look at Samson and be like, "Well, that guy, man. I mean, you know, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He could do anything. I want to be like Samson." It's like the last person you want to imitate is Samson. I mean, <laughs> like, go read his life. Like, that's the opposite of everything the Lord wants you to be. You know, or like I said, David. David, a godly. There's many things about David you want to be, but do not imitate his immorality and his adultery and many wives and you know and uh, you know. So I mean, there's there's, it's like, parenting. yeah, it's parenting. Actually, yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, so again, you got biblical people. Hey, think about that—that that are men and women of faith, born again. I mean, if you want to call it that terminology, but Old Testament, but still, I mean, they're 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 the Lord. They belong to Him, and uh, and they had big big gaps, sins. You know, uh, I mean, we can sin big, and so again, I'm just that's what I'm saying too. It's like get godly counsel and all that, but after you do your work biblically. Because, you know, Gideon might be like, Well, I just laid out a fleece and God showed me what to do, you know, and you're like, Well, Gideon was a judge, you know, but it's like but you don't want to imitate that part of Gideon's life. So Yeah, good example. Did you have something? Yeah, just know a real
1: quick comment again about the audible you know, hearing God
0: audibly. I don't know if any of y'all heard what Justin Peter said, but basically if you want to hear, you know, God audibly read the word out. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a good Yeah, get the audible Bible. <laughs> I and mean, then you can listen to God all the way to work. <laughs> but sometimes God is very uh, monotone and dry. Like, <laughs> I got this NASB on on audio, and man, it is so. I actually I use it to go to sleep at night, because like if I listen to it for about five minutes, I'm out. <laughs> so if I can't sleep, I just turn the Bible on, <laughs> because this guy's like Genesis one, in the beginning. <laughs> so it's not God's word. <laughs> it's just how he reads it. Any Anything else? Yeah. Let me ask a question about decorative will. About what? Decorative will. What he oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you said freedom, Yeah, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> look it up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. His decorative will is, like we said you, yesterday, whatever happened, mm-hmm. that was his decorative will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is what God has ordained to occur. So I wanted to ask you, like in reference to say Jonah. So it was God's will for Nineveh to hear His word. It's also His will that Jonah. Donut in a fish was a bit coercive. <laughs> it's almost like, okay, am I, is this easy a better way to understand it? God works through sinful men mm-hmm. who don't always do things God's way, but ultimately they will always be tools. God to perform His will in this world. Yeah. Like the men
0: who put the nails in Christ's wrist. Yeah. So, or the Assyrians, or Satan. Or Satan. Yeah. Satan always does God's decretive will. Tie David
1: to number people?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you're gonna you're starting to get into like where does that sovereign control of God, and and the uh, and the will of man? I mean, it's like this is this is that whole pull. And I think this is where you're going of like because so. well, God you know, sovereignly does all things, God including. Never does anything wrong? Mm-hmm. He never does
1: anything unrighteous. He never does anything evil. Uh, but we do. Satan does, and God has ordained.
0: Him. Yeah, even that is decreed by God. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And anyway, I was
0: just wondering the how he... Yeah, I, I just think, well, no, and, and again, I think that's where you have to I mean, there, there are things uh, where, like I said, I mean, getting down to like, how, how do you come to the Lord? I mean, explain to me exactly how that works, both on his end and your end and how those things mesh. you know You can only say what the Bible says, because at some point... God is the one that opens your eyes. God is the one that draws you. God is the one that gives you life. It has nothing to do with you. And even your salvation has nothing to do with you. It has to do with his love for his son. So you can look at it biblically and be like, your salvation has zero to do with you, and it has nothing to do with his love for you. And at the same time, it has everything to do with his love for you personally and for his son's love for you. He died for you and And then on top of that, you got to say, and you must believe, and you must repent, and you must follow. And all those work together perfectly without any contradiction. But if you start trying to dissect exactly where his pulling and your obedience or where his, you know, all that stuff, like you get into a realm that doesn't belong to you. You know, I think those are the things that are part of the Deuteronomy 29, that the secret things belong to him, that the revealed things belong to us. So this was just a big picture way to try to say, because we always just talk about trying to know the will of God. And sometimes we're talking about, I want to know what God wants for tomorrow. And sometimes we're talking about, I want to know how to obey him here. And we're saying God's decreed will, like that's not our realm. That's his realm. But we're saying his revealed will, that is your realm because he's revealed that to you. And that's where it's like, obey him and submit to him. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pray because it's 1230. Lord, thank you